Amen. Powerful name of Jesus. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 10 through 28. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for being able to praise and glorify your name. We thank you for being able to lift up the name of Jesus and to declare him our Lord and our Savior, to declare his goodness and his grace. We ask, O oh Lord, now that as we come to this word, that you will help us to understand it and to apply it to our lives. O oh Lord, give me your thoughts to be my own, so that my words will be the words that you've given me. I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The question of who Jesus was was always present throughout his life. I want you to think about that. When Jesus was born, Magi from the East had to come and tell people that a king had been born because they didn't know about it. When he was born, shepherds had to hear from angels out in the pasture that they needed to come and see this great thing that had happened in the birth of Jesus. Throughout his life, Jesus' identity was always in question. There was moments here or there where people seemed to get it, get who he was, get what he was about. But in many occasions, there were more questions than answers. People weren't sure who he was, what he was about, who had given him the authority that he had, who had sent him, who had empowered him. Everywhere Jesus went, even after he started his public ministry, people questioned who he was. And of course, the religious authorities always wanted to know, who gave you permission to do all this stuff? Who gave you authority to do all this stuff? In other words, who sent you? Who are you representing? Was Jesus a rabbi, a teacher? Was he a prophet or something more? Was he just another voice among many voices who spoke the word of God? In our scripture today, Jesus was asking his disciples directly, who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
Now, the Son of Man was a Greek expression which in its Aramaic and Hebrew background could be a way of indicating the speaker's own self or simply mean someone or a human being. So I could refer to myself as the Son of Man being that I am a human being and I am a person in that sense. So when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He's really asking, who do the people say I am? What's the word on the street about me? If you look up in the scriptures, 69 times in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. So this is not the only instance in which he is referring to himself with this phrase. It was a phrase that he used to point out that he was one of us, his humanity. He was, he was a guy, a real guy among us, a real man walking the earth. Jesus was God in the flesh, and this pointed to his humanity. Son of man at this point was not as much a title as it was a description of Jesus' human condition and his universal importance to humankind. It was almost as, he, as if he was telling his disciples, who do people say that I am if I'm here to represent all of humanity? It directly pointed to his redemptive work and the messianic role that he would carry out. But at this point, it didn't mean a special title. It didn't mean something like Christ or Messiah. It was just son of man, you. So when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He, he's really asking them, what are they saying on the street about me? What are people saying? And of course, we know from Scripture that he gets, gets a variety of answers because people had all kinds of theories about who Jesus was. You know, they say that everybody's got an opinion. Everybody had an opinion about Jesus. Everybody did. And they didn't all agree. Some said that he was John the Baptist. Remember that John had been beheaded, his head cut off, right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And some people claimed that because of the way Jesus conducted himself in his ministry, that, that there, was, there was something about it that reminded them of John, who called people to repentance and told them of the kingdom of God that was coming. Others thought he was Elijah, why would they think that? Well, because Elijah did incredible miracles. And how did Jesus' ministry even begin? He began by turning water into wine at a wedding. You don't see that every day. And so he did a lot of miracles, similar to what Elijah had done. On top of that, Elijah was known to heal people, and he had a healing ministry. And so when you think about that, they said, you know, this reminds me of Elijah. This is the kind of miracles that Elijah would do. Others said that he was Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Because like them, Jesus came proclaiming that he was bringing a message from God. And this is what the prophets did, right? The prophets would hear from God and then they would tell the people. 
And oftentimes the message that they brought was one of repentance and seeking forgiveness of their sins from God and turning away from their evil ways. Then the prophets always came to the people at a time in which they needed a course correction. And it seemed like this is the kind of stuff that Jesus was doing. This was very typical of the prophet. And it's ironic that like all the prophets of old, Jesus was also put to death for what he said and what he did. These theories were all over the place, weren't they? But they did reflect an understanding of what Jesus did, what he was doing in his ministry. Each one of these represented an aspect of what Jesus had been doing in his public ministry, prophesying, teaching, doing miracles, doing healing, showing deeds of power, showing great wisdom. All of these were signs of what he was doing, but they did not convey enough who he was, his identity. You see, we are more than what we do. Our identity is more than what we work on. Our identity is more than what people see. Jesus then turned to his disciples and he said, okay, I've heard what everybody else has to say. Who do you say that I am? And every single time we read this question, let's be honest, we always read it this way. Who do you say that I am? We always put that emphasis on you because remember, Jesus has already heard about everybody else's opinion. He's heard about the people's opinion. But now he really wants to know what his disciples, what those who have been walking with him and doing ministry with him, think about him and say about him. Who do you say that I am? And the scripture tells us that it was one of those moments, you know, you know when the teacher asks a question and you got that little nerd in the class that always raises his hand like, me, 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 I know the answer. It's almost like Peter has one of those moments because he can't hold it back. He just has to, he just has to jump in because he knows the answer. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, you know, it was almost like you could hear the buzzers, you know, at the end of Jeopardy when they get the, the final question. Ding, 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 ding. I mean, this was the right answer. This was the right thing to say. Peter had nailed it. He had gotten it right. And boy, you know, he's got moments where he nails it. Then he's got moments where he just falls flat on his face. This is one of the good, good moments, right? This is when Peter actually says the right thing. Peter didn't beat around the bush. He didn't say, you know, Jesus, you're like this guy or that guy. You're, you're like somebody we've seen before. You're like these people of old. No, no, no. He said, you are unique. You are the son of God. You're the son of the living God. And you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Peter called them Messiah, and that had a meaning to the Jews. We have to understand that the Messiah was expected to come and deliver Israel from its enemies and to restore the nation of Israel. The Messiah would bring salvation. And so when Peter said Messiah, he had a whole concept of what that was in his mind. I still don't know that he fully understood that Jesus' idea of Messiah was different than his. But at that moment, he declared Jesus the Messiah, which meant that he understood 
that salvation comes through Jesus. Peter also called him the son of the living God. This pointed out that there was a lot of dead gods out there. Gods made of stone, gods, gods made of metals, little figurines of all kinds of animals representing false deities. But Jesus was not a son of any of those. He was the son of the living God, of the one true God. Remember that Jews were different from everybody else because they only had one God. They didn't believe in all these other gods. They believed that there was only one God, the God Almighty, the great I Am. And Jesus was his son. Without realizing it, Peter was declaring the humanity and the divinity of Christ at one time. He was declaring that the Son of Man was also the Son of God. And he was declaring that he was the salvation of the world. And you know, Jesus couldn't have been happier when he heard Peter's response. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Now, this sounds like a great compliment until you realize it's almost like a backhanded compliment. Because what Jesus was saying is, Peter, you got it right. You couldn't have come up with the answer on your own. It had to be revealed to you. It had to be given to you. Somebody had to whisper it to you. Because your intelligence, your ability to understand isn't enough to understand the mystery that you have just shared. It was revealed by my Father in heaven. Knowing who Jesus really is only comes as a revelation by God through the Holy Spirit. We can know of Jesus. We can know about Jesus. But to really know who Jesus really is is a revelation that, not, that does not come through flesh and blood. It comes through God's gift of grace. I don't think Peter got it at the moment. He just took the compliment, you know, he took the win. He's like, I got one. <laughs> but I don't think he understood that it was impossible for him to come to these conclusions. It was impossible for him through his power of observation to say, yeah, this is the Messiah. It was impossible for him to really identify that Jesus was the Son of God if it had not been revealed to him by God himself. Flesh and blood did not bring this declaration. Revelation did. This is important because we all seek to study God's word. We read scripture all the time. We seek to understand the mysteries of God, the will of God, the desire of God, the plan of God for our lives. But there's a part of that that can only come to us through revelation that comes from God the Father through the Holy Spirit. You know, there are scriptures that you can read over and over again. And if the Holy Spirit is not present there with you, you will still not receive what God wants to share with you. God led Peter in at that moment, and he understood who Jesus Christ was. We all need that encounter with the living Jesus. We all need to be able to know him fully and completely as Messiah, as Savior, 
but also as one who understands our human condition, our frailty, and our struggles. It is through revelation that God shows us his full power, his sacrificial love, his compassion, and all that he has to offer to us in Jesus Christ. Now, I can tell you about Jesus all day long. We got books and books written about who Jesus was, right? There's all kinds of studies about the historical Jesus, the, the Jesus who say, came as a Savior and a Messiah, the Jesus who was a teacher, all of these books that try to explain who he really was. There are scripture after scripture after scripture that we can read to, to learn about Jesus. But to know Jesus as a personal Savior is a revelation that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. God reveals himself to us. He shows us who he is. He shows us who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And it changes us forever. This was Peter's moment of revelation, but it was also his moment of promise. Jesus didn't just say, okay, you got the answer right, good, let's call it a day. Let's quit there before you mess it up. <laughs> he didn't do that. He said, I tell you, you are Peter. Like he didn't know who he was, right? I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Many Bible scholars have, have said that this revelation is what set the foundation for the birth of the church after the day of Pentecost. Because what Jesus was basically saying is, Peter, during my whole ministry, you've been riding shotgun next to me. But I've been driving. I've had the keys and the wheel the whole time. But I'm about to leave. I'm about to go back to the Father. I'm about to go to the cross, die, be raised, and then ascend to heaven again. And Peter... Let me tell you something. It's time for you to take the keys. The keys to the kingdom are going to be yours. I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going to give you the authority that I have. I'm going to give you the power that I have. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to accompany you and to direct you. I'm going to give you everything you need. You see, God's church was founded on Peter and the disciples who Jesus had been shaping and forming over his ministry. He had been teaching them and preparing them because he knew there would come a time when they would have to ride on and he would have to return to the Father. And he basically said, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And by the way, I'm guaranteeing victory for you. He says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. The church is going to be victorious in Jesus. I want you to understand that it's never a question whether we will have victory in Jesus. The only question is whether we will accept and take that victory that Jesus has already given us on the cross. He already did it all. The only question is, will we accept it and receive it? Because it's a done deal from the beginning. 
And so Jesus says, here are the king's keys to the kingdom. It will be given to the church. And guess what? Who's the church? We are the church. We have been given the keys to the kingdom. What we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. As the church, we have to use the keys of the kingdom that we have been given. We have to use them to set the captives free. We have to use those keys to bind the lies of the enemy. We have to use those keys to proclaim the good news and bring about the kingdom of God here on earth. We have to use those keys to bind the enemy and declare victory over hell and death. But what we do with those keys here on earth is really important. Because the scripture is telling us that it reverberates all the way up to heaven. And that we, what we do with those keys in the heavenly places has an effect on us here on earth. So let's use those keys. Let loose the glory of God through worship. And let it resound from heaven all the way down to earth. Let our praises rise up before the temple of God and remind everyone that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. Let's make sure that the keys are not remaining in our pocket and that they're not lost and that when we need them, we know what to do with them. Eleanor is laughing because I did lose my keys last week. You know, you can't lose your keys to the kingdom. If you lose your keys to the kingdom, you're in trouble. Because keys let you in, but they also can keep you out if you don't have them. Well, in a bizarre turn of events in our scripture, we come to the end of this section, and if you stopped it right there, you would be like, okay, this is a perfect passage. It's like a nice little present wrapped and, and ready to go. And then in a bizarre turn of events, we, we get this from Jesus. He sternly orders his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And everybody's going, what? Isn't that exactly what we want, to tell everybody that you're the Messiah? And I have to tell you that scholars have argued over this verse for over a hundred years. All kinds of theories have been brought up forth to argue why this verse is here. Some scholars even tried to argue that, that Jesus didn't really say that. He didn't really mean that. Some tried to dismiss it altogether. Others had the, the, the theory that the reason Jesus told them not to tell anybody is because he had to keep his messianic role secret until the moment in which it was revealed for his death. That if he called too much attention to himself during his ministry by proclaiming that he was the Messiah then the authorities would put him in prison and try to kill him earlier than he was supposed to die. There was a timetable that God had in place, and he had to die exactly at the Passover in Jerusalem, exactly at the time that was appointed. But this is not the only theory. There's all kinds of theories that somehow the messianic role of Jesus was kept a secret from most of the multitudes because this was an inside thing between the disciples and Jesus and those who were closest. When Jesus was transfigured, 
He told his disciples to keep it quiet until after his resurrection. He said, don't tell anybody until I've been raised from the dead what happened here on the mountain. We have story after story in Mark where when Jesus did a miracle, he would tell the people that he healed, keep it on the down low. Don't tell anybody that I healed you. Just, just go home and tell your family, but don't go telling anybody else. One of the theories says that Jesus actually told them not to tell anybody because they knew that they couldn't keep a secret. You know, when you tell your little sister something that you want everybody to find out because you know she can't keep her mouth shut? Kind of like that. That Jesus told them not to tell anybody and told people that he healed not to tell anybody because as the scripture revealed, oftentimes that's exactly what they did immediately after they left him. The blind man went telling everybody, I was blind, but now I see, and I don't know who did it, except that it was Jesus. <laughs> I mean, he was so obvious, you know, you couldn't deny it. And so there's a lot of theories about this. You know, why would Jesus tell them not to tell anybody about him being the Messiah? But I have my own theory about this. You can't be told that Jesus is the Messiah. God the Father has to reveal it to you. God the Father has to help you come to that understanding. You have to have a come to Jesus moment to really understand that he is your savior and that you need his forgiveness and that you need his grace. You know, we need that saving moment in which we admit we can't do it by ourselves that we need him in our lives. So today I just want to ask you the question that Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is in your life? Who is he to you? What does he mean to you? How do you feel about him? What is the last time that you had a heart to heart with Jesus? And how did that go? Today I want you to, to be invited to, to experience him again in that closeness of the revelation of who he really is. I want you to meet Jesus again, not from a point of view of understanding in your human mind who he is, but in the point of your spirit, meeting his spirit to understand who he is and what he's done for your life. I'm inviting you to grab the keys to the kingdom that Jesus gave Peter and to be the church, to take the power and the authority that comes with those keys and to declare victory in Jesus Christ, to not let fear or death defeat you, but to remember that his promises are true and faithful and that he has promised that we will have eternal life in him. When Jesus gave Peter the keys, he said, on you, I will build my church. As you receive the keys from Jesus anew this morning, I want you to know that Jesus wants to build his church on you. He wants you to be one of the building blocks for the kingdom of God here on earth. But you got to grab the keys you got to use the keys. 
And you got to let him know you fully. And you have to know him fully. On you, I will build my church. For you see, God can only build his kingdom on those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. God can only build his kingdom on those who trust him and put their faith wholly in him. God can only build his kingdom through those who recognize him as Messiah and Savior and acknowledge that they need his grace. Are you willing to humble yourself before him and recognize that all of this only comes from God as a revelation of his truth, his love, and his peace through Jesus Christ? I pray you'll grab the keys. Let the glory loose. Let the kingdom come. Make it on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, O Lord, because it challenges us to not just know about Jesus, but to get to know Jesus, to invite him into our hearts and into our lives regularly as our Savior, our Messiah, our friend, and to bring him, O Lord, to others so that they too will get to know him and have an encounter with him. On this day, Lord, I just ask that you will give us the boldness to grab the keys, to take the responsibility of carrying your kingdom into the world, and to use those keys, Lord, to declare healing and wholeness, to declare forgiveness and grace, to declare your peace and your love on all those who need it. Help us, O Lord, on this day to be the church in every possible way. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The altar is always open if you want to come up for prayer as we continue worship this morning. <laughs>